Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. The thing is, it seems like there's more knowledge now than ever, but less wisdom than ever. How can there be more knowledge and more stupid people? And why do they all have to be on the road when I'm on the road? I, I, I don't understand that. Where do you turn to for wisdom on how to do life? I mean, do you, do you have to go to online for the answers? If you do, you end up seeing these warning signs. So there should be these warning signs everywhere. In the last few years, there have been so many questions in our own personal life that we just don't have answers for. And a lot of that is because of the larger question, who can you trust? I mean, do we need a Yoda or a Gandalf or a... How, how are you supposed to find wisdom? We know that we're supposed to choose wisely, and, and, and we need some wise old man to give us that indication of, of choosing wisely. But how do you do that in a wasteland of wisdom, but a, an overabundance of knowledge or supposed knowledge? Now, our culture would look at Google for guidance, or Wiki Wisdom, or, or Pinterest Pointers, or, or the Podcast of Influencers, and eventually you just want to say enough. But God has provided an entire book in the Bible devoted to wise living. It's called Proverbs. Nothing makes us more aware of our own need for wisdom than to realize how short life is. And we're in over our heads. Now that was illustrated in Solomon's life when he was appointed to lead God's people as king after his father David. No son ever wants to try to keep up with his father. I mean, some of us hope we're not as dumb as our dads and then later in life we realize, wow, I'm not anywhere near as wise as my dad was. I wish I could be more like him. But Solomon's dad was David, the first king of Israel, or the, the, the beloved king of Israel. It was, he was king when Israel was in its golden days. And, and now what's Solomon supposed to do? He realized that the transition of power in a country is no easy matter. I mean, just look at Great Britain, right? You got king, or Queen Elizabeth who's there for 50 years. And, and, and now Charles and William and Harry and well, let's not forget you know, Andrew. And of course, how can you ignore the, the question of, of secession and the political mess that that can create even in our own country, especially during an election year where for the next nine months or more, all we're going to hear is, vote for me, not that bum. It was really no more different for God's people 
when King David announced that Solomon would be the next king. I mean, for Solomon, that's good news and bad news. He didn't have to run for election against his own brother because his own brother had already decided that he should be the next king. And yet here's Solomon at about age 20. And when he becomes king, all of a sudden he's faced with major decisions that are going to have far-reaching influence into his life. I mean, you can read about it later in 1 Kings chapter 1 and 2. What are you supposed to do with an older brother who's already put everything in motion for him to be the next king? And he's got, he's got his own advisors and his own supporters. What are you supposed to do with them? Just because dad said Solomon's going to be the next king didn't change everybody else's opinion. They still had their opinion, and they would still second-guess Solomon. He tried to work things out peacefully, but eventually found out that his own brother was working against him to try to overthrow him. And so now you've got Solomon at age 20 trying to make life and death decisions about his devotion to God and his devotion to family and a sense of duty to his father. He chose to execute the traitors and banish others from the capital city now, I know there are some times in like December or January that that might sound like a good idea to people in this country. We should execute the traitors and banish others from the capital city, but I'm not saying that's a good idea at all. I'm just saying that that, that kind of decision-making process weighs heavily on, on us when, when we don't know what to do we know what we feel like doing, but we're not sure what's the best thing to do. 1 Kings 3 tells the story of how Solomon turned to God when he felt overwhelmed. And God was pleased that Solomon had done that, that he would look to him for guidance. And his response to Solomon was essentially, you know what, what do you want? I'll write you a blank check. Ask me for anything. And Solomon could have asked for wealth or power, and instead, he asked for wisdom to rule God's people well. It says in chapter 3, verse 9, Lord, my God, you've made me the king in my father's place. But I'm like a small child. I don't have the wisdom I need to do what I must do. Now, if you kind of wandered off someplace, just come back and take a look at that phrase. Because if you walk out of here just remembering that prayer, we're good. I don't have the wisdom I need to do what I must do. And then he solidifies that in the next part of his prayer. I'm your servant, and I'm here among your chosen people. There are so many that they can't be counted I ask you, give me the wisdom to rule and judge them well and to help me know the difference between right and wrong. Again, another part of the crucial prayer that so many people need for wisdom. Help me know the difference between right and wrong and help me to do the difference between right and wrong. How are you going to do that? Without knowledge, it would be impossible to rule this great nation. It's quite the prayer, isn't it? Quite the heart's cry. God not only granted his request for wisdom, but for every other blessing as well. In verse 12 and 13 of chapter 3, he says, I'll make you wiser than anyone who's ever lived or ever will live. 
I'll also give you what you didn't ask for. You'll be rich and you'll be respected as long as you live and you'll be greater than any other king. And out of that wisdom, as well as the inspiration of God's Spirit, comes what we read in the book of Proverbs. It's a master's class in the principles of wisdom. And it'll lead any of us to success in every aspect of life if we just read it and accept it. Here's how Solomon summarized what he'd learned about wisdom. It's in chapter 1, verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then he repeats that same theme a couple of more times by saying it with this subtle difference. In verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. And finally, in chapter 15, verse 33, the fear of the Lord is what wisdom teaches. Humility comes before honor. And you certainly saw that with Solomon in his humble request and acknowledgement. I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. But did you hear the two words that stand out in the verse? Fear and wisdom? Now, typically, we think of fear as a bad thing and wisdom as a good thing and that they're mutually exclusive. But wasn't the most important command to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength? Well, if I'm supposed to love God, then how am I supposed to be afraid of Him? I mean, in the logical question, how can I love and fear God at the same time? And doesn't the Bible say perfect love casts out fear? But the Bible talks about fear in terms of a healthy respect that kind of puts you in your place. It refers to that overwhelming sense of reverence and awe and respect, that overwhelming awareness that, okay, I'm in over my head here. It's similar to the feeling I got a few years ago when we stood at the edge of Niagara Falls. And you just see the rush and the roar of hundreds of gallons of water. And you just think, if I, if I slip, I'm done. And maybe it's at the edge of Niagara Falls, or maybe you get that over, overwhelming, healthy respect of electricity after you've been bit, like my dad used to call it. Usually when he thought it was funny, while I was stringing an electric fence to flip the switch, just to make sure it worked. That's why now I call David to come in and, and help with electricity here. A more complete understanding of God, though, is one that includes both fear and love. You see, people lose their respect for God when they become distant and detached, forgetting who He is. Just like in our own relationships, right? The more distant you are, the more detached you are, the less you value that relationship. And the less we understand God, the less motivation we have to respect Him and accept His ways. Remember what Jesus taught in the parable of the talents? It's in Matthew 25, if you happen to want to read that later on. But it was there in that parable that He tells 
the story and, and compares God to a master who gave varying degrees of responsibility to three of his servants. Now, he was about to leave on a trip, but while he was gone, he wanted them to put all the resources that he'd given them to work so that he would continue to make a profit. Now, the first two of his servants were obedient to the master. They took it to heart and they put his money to work and they ended up doubling his investment, something all of us would be excited about if we could double our investment. The third servant, though, on the other hand, chose to ignore his master. I'm just not going to do anything with it. Oh, I don't want to risk losing it. And so he just buried it. And then when it was time to, to stand and deliver and, and show what he had to show for the time away and how he had put things to work, all he, dug, all he did was dug it up and came back, you know, shook a little of the dirt off of it, handed it to his master and said, here you go, I, it's all of it. I didn't lose any of it. You see, when confronted, though, the servant claimed that he was afraid of the master and falsely accused him of being a, a hard master and a thief who would, who would harvest where he hadn't planted. The reality, of course, was that he had, well, he had more apathy than he did respect for what his master needed from him. And that same thing is true today when people foolishly ignore God, assuming that they can do so without consequence. If they have no fear or respect for God, they don't see the wisdom in being obedient to God. Solomon would call that foolish. And life is too short to be foolish. Socrates would apparently have, have said it this way, wisdom is knowing how little we know. Okay, check, sounds right. A guy named Larry Niven made it, this, made it clear this way, half of wisdom is learning what to unlearn. Like, don't grab the electric fence when Dad's going to test it, right? Or another person phrased it this way, a smart person knows what to say, but a wise person knows whether or not to say it at all. Marriage 101. You see, it all comes back to asking the question, so where does wisdom come from then? Mark Twain would have said knowledge becomes wisdom, but only after it's been put to good use. It doesn't matter how much I tell you or how much you learn, if you're not going to do anything with it, then that's not wisdom. But James in Scripture says in chapter 1, verse 5, that we need to ask God for wisdom. If any of you need wisdom, you should ask God for it. He's generous to everyone. And the last part of this verse just kind of jumps off the page. And will give you wisdom without criticizing you. You know, that's the number one reason why kids in school won't ask for help. Because they're afraid they'll be made fun of for not knowing it. And so they'll just sit
They'll just sit quietly and let everybody, including the teacher, assume that they know what, what's happening because they don't want to take the risk of people making fun of them for not knowing. James gives us this godly wisdom and says, go ahead and ask God. He's not going to jump down your throat because you're stupid. He's not going to condemn you because you didn't know. Ask for wisdom. You see, wisdom is a gift from God. But it has to be both requested and accepted. It's not hard to find. Most of the time, it's right there in front of us, staring us in the face. In Proverbs chapter 1, wisdom is actually pictured as a woman trying to get the attention of a young man. Now, you wouldn't think that'd be hard, depending on maybe what she looks like or what she sounds like. But wisdom, like a young woman trying to get the attention of a young man, is encouraging him. He's, she's urging him to be wise. In verse 20 through 22, the easy-to-read version phrases it this way. Listen, wisdom, like a, like a woman trying to attract a young man, Wisdom is shouting in the streets. She's crying out in the marketplace. She's calling out where the noisy crowds gather. And this is what she's trying to encourage him to do. Fool! How long will you love being ignorant? How long will you make fun of wisdom? How long will you hate knowledge? Now, you and I both know the answer to this. I'm confident of it. We'll make fun of wisdom if it's different than me. Okay, okay, us. We'll hate knowledge if it's different than what I think or feel like. We'll love staying ignorant. I mean, we phrase it this way. You can even complete the common understanding of that. If I start the phrase, I bet you can finish it. Have you ever heard of somebody who is blissfully ignorant? Or, turned another way, ignorance is bliss. I'm happy being unaware because once you make me aware once you teach me what i need to do now what now i feel guilty if i don't do anything about it so i'd rather be ignorant and happy than informed and then guilty if i don't do anything with it and later in 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 chapter 9 verses 13 through 18 foolishness is also represented by a woman there only it's a different woman she's urging him to pursue sin with her not wisdom it says foolishness is also that other woman who is loud and stupid i am only reading the bible (laughs) foolishness is like the other woman who is loud stupid and knows nothing she sits on her chair at the door of her house up on the highest hill of the city 
And when people walk by, she calls out to them. They show no interest in her, but still she says, anyone who's foolish should come in here. If you drink water that belongs to someone else, it tastes so sweet. If you eat food secretly, it tastes better than anything. Think Midnight Raid in the kitchen. Come and enjoy my meal. And yet Solomon in his wisdom would write as an appendix to that, but the foolish did not realize that her home is a place for the dead. Her visitors are already in the grave. Kind of a walking zombie thing. So where does wisdom come from? Well, first thing we need to do is ask for it. Second thing we need to do is actively pursue God's wisdom in His Word. Have you noticed when we're driving, we tend to do what my dad used to do. It drive me nuts. I'm sitting in the front seat, you know, and just like, Dad, pay attention, because he'd start looking over and counting how many legs are on the, cow, on the cows in the field so he could divide by four and find out how many there were there. At least that's what he said. The thing was, he was enough of a rain man type of numbers guy, we were never really quite sure whether he was serious or whether it was a joke. But he'd be looking over in the field, you know, and next thing you know, the steering wheel would turn the same way. Dad, pay attention! We tend to head in the direction of where we're looking. Proverbs reminds us to get our eyes back on where we're going. That's wisdom. If you want wisdom, you have to be active, not passive. Jesus told us that in these terms, you have to ask, you have to seek, and you have to knock. The psalmist would say it this way in chapter 19, verse 98, your commands make me wiser than my adversary. The scripture would later tell us that we do have an adversary in Satan who is like a roaring lion waiting to devour us. The commandments of God are wiser than our adversary. They are my constant guide. Or in verse 105, your word is like a lamp that guides my steps, a light that shows the path that I should take. Two different things. It's not just the step of where to put my step right now, but also the path to go through where I need to go through. Where's wisdom come from? It comes from God when we ask Him for it. It comes from His Word when we read it, but it's also modeled for us in Jesus. He's the visual aid to the words. For example, in Colossians 2, he says, I want them to be strengthened and joined together, speaking of us as believers. He wants us to be strengthened and joined together with love and to have the full confidence that comes from understanding God's mystery that's found in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. Now, some scriptures are hard to understand, but some are pretty straightforward, right? We'll never have God's wisdom without knowing Jesus. And without seeing that lived out and played out in the lives of his followers. And that's the next one. We need mentors. We need encouragers. And sometimes we need, sometimes we need somebody to say, hey, pay attention, get back on the road. Where do you find people like that? 
Where do you find people for the wisdom of how to do life? God's intention is that <laughs> it's kind of scary and exciting all at the same time. God's intention is look around. His intention is you find people to show you wisdom in church. Now, Claudia, I've got kind of a standing joke. We have a friend of ours a long time ago that said every McDonald's has got a liar's club. You know, that group that gathers over in the corner on a pretty regular basis and they just tell lies to each other and the first liar doesn't have a chance, you know. But what you, every single time, if you sit near or walk by, here's what you'll hear from the liar's club. I tell you what! followed by some kind of pearls of wisdom that drop from their tongue. Earthly wisdom is doing what comes naturally to us, though. That's the kind of wisdom that the writer of Proverbs talks about in chapter 12, verse 15. Fools think their own way is right. But the wise listen to advice from others. Or chapter 19, verse 20. Listen to advice and accept instruction so that you may gain wisdom in the future. And there's the difference. If you really want wisdom from God, you have to learn to listen or learn more about Jesus and then not just listen to what he says or read what he said but actually put it into practice and start to love more like Jesus and when you do you'll start to look more like Jesus in how you live and in the process you bring glory to God and blessing to others if you really want wisdom God has promised His Spirit would live in us and would guide us and would teach us as we learn how to live for Him. So many times we get wrapped up into looking for that one thing, that one key to wisdom. But one wise man made this observation, wisdom is not a single key, it's a combination of things. So here's the takeaway for today. If you seek God's wisdom, you'll find it. And when you find it, put it into practice. You can ask for wisdom, you can read about wisdom, you can see others live it out, but you've got to live a life of wisdom. James would say it this way in chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. Jealousy and selfishness, that's not God's kind of wisdom. That may be arrogance that comes from a lot of knowledge, but it's not God's wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and he even calls it demonic. Because you remember the pride that ended up having Satan cast out of heaven was because he thought he knew better than God. Where there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom that comes from above is first of all pure. 
and peace-loving. It's gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good works. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere or genuine. That is wisdom. So in this series of Life is Short, a conversation about wisdom makes a lot of sense. David, I want you in a praise team. Join me up on stage. Let me wrap up with this. I want you to understand some core teachings of the Bible. We've already started on this in some, in some manner this month. Because life is short, it's too short to get stuck. Know this, that God can change our life. Because life is short, we understand that life is too short to get stuck on guilt. Especially when God offers to forgive us and wash, or, wash away our sin. Life is too short to get stuck on stupid, you might even say. And that's why we learn that God will give us wisdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldo Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.